Welcome to Triskelion! At the time of Triskelion expansion into the spiral arms of the Milky Way, the Triskelion grouped themselves not only by species, but by identities deeply rooted in their homeworlds. Human social organizations were highly fluid. They organized resources and labor while often allowing mobility in the workforce as nation-states held an uneasy alliance with private corporations. Rakal gathering congregations composed of codified philosophies and structured rituals such as the Ta'an et Tura mating ritual explored in Triskelion 03. While myriad congregations may form treaties to work to mutual purposes and even share birthing tanks and creches, movement between congregations remains undocumented outside of violent upheaval that results in brutal subjugation and the destruction of the defeated congregation's catechism. Just as humans used congregation as a placeholder description, so also humans used the word house as shorthand to describe species-wide woven social constructs. The woven gathered themselves into a family-like unit with mother, father, daughters, sons, and cousins, all related or ritually bonded as a house that is more analogous to human corporations than extended families. Yet the bonding should not be ignored a woven does not simply change jobs for a better opportunity. European noble houses of the Middle Ages bear some resemblance, yet were not so deeply ingrained into human society as woven houses. For woven, a house is neither noble or peasant. It is the root form of the family structure that encompasses their society. Successful woven houses grow from generation to generation, and complex social rule sets determine cross-pollination between dynasties. To better understand the nuances of woven bonding, we will visit a woven house under extreme duress. The house name is Limitless Night Sky, or LNS. We will witness their youngest woven patriarch ascend to lead this remnant of a space-faring woven house. Triskelion 06, Pater Familius. I slumped down onto my duffel bag, into my new cabin, the captain's cabin. I couldn't bring myself to use the captain's bunk. It was still splattered with blood and puke anyway. I am now captain of the senior merchant vessel for House Limitless Night Sky. We had been a proud family, a major trading house. I wanted to cry, but my body wouldn't allow me to cry anymore. This large green duffel I sat on for want of a bunk had the last of my civvies. Bright red pants peeked from the opening at the top of the duffel. That day I had worn those pants with copper bangles that clinked together musically around my long woven tail. As a child, I had been proud of those colorful outfits. I must accept. Childhood is done. How had it happened so fast? It had only been a week ago that father... No. He who had been father... And I and my big brother Corwell roamed about the bazaar on Orthree's far orbit station. Variegated mirrors reflected the starlight in colors while filtering out the heat and radiation. I had run about the marketplace and plunged into the ridiculous curio shop with fancy dress androids. Toy-sized hologram ships whisked by and through me, leading me into the bazaar that modeled itself after a pirate's hidden space station outpost. Giant letters, the Black Citadel, floated gaudily over the roof, reaching almost up to the dome. My tail bangles jangled excitedly. Laughing with my big brother, we charged through the double doors into a palace of goodies, waiting to be discovered. 
Father ordered the universe, and Big Brother Corwell led the way. And I got into mischief. Those were supposed to be our roles for years. As I rummaged through the bins of star charts mixed in with games and small animated sculptures, I searched for toys and magic and found a curse instead and the end of my timeless youth. It should have been me. But how, at my young age, could I have conceived of anything taking down Father? It was just a human-owned curio shop. I had gawked at all the humans waddling up and down the aisles. At least the recall had leathery scales. Humans just looked like someone had skinned a wolf and chopped off their tail and sliced off their muzzle. Their skin hung out in the open for all to see. Grotesque. I had not known yet how dangerous, how insidious humans could be. The odds and ends and decorative pieces to appeal to Wolven had lured me into the shop. Perhaps it had been designed to attract a Wolven, or perhaps it was bait for anyone gullible, and it was my bad luck to be there. The owner's little pup ran up and down the aisle calling out, Daddy! Unbelievable. The child had shouted at his father. Today, <coughs> I tried to feel the word in my muzzle as I squatted on my duffel bag. Absurd. I muttered, looking back at my memories of the smooth, sweaty-skinned child gambling about his father. Father. Yes, the station translator had just blurted the same word in my ear, when clearly the merchant's child was expressing something untranslatable. I imagined trying out fa, and I couldn't stop my hand from jumping to my throat. Diminutives were like eye contact. They denigrated the dignity the responsibility of the biological office of father. The proper respect? You position your eyes downcast, and with your right forepaw, you touch your throat and then swing your hand out with palm open at a slightly downward submissive angle. This kept your claws curved to the floor, away from any hint of violence. The gesture was a lighter form of the rapid upward head tilt for more serious situations. Both postures acknowledged a father's right to rip your throat out. I suppose that's not the same thing as the hugs as I remember the humans embrace. I had turned away from the crowds of humans. Overexcited, I had reached into the bin of star charts and goo-gaws. I actually tipped over the edge of the giant bin of baubles, toys, and sculpted figures. I had fallen inside the bin. If only I had behaved. Corwill had looked down at me as I awkwardly fumbled about the bin trying to regain my balance and stand upright. Corwell had urged me, hurry and get out of there. Father's coming. He's ready to depart. Corwell's brow had scrunched up. He had seen something. What's that? He had pointed at a golden orb. Such orbs were usually data pods for jump points. This star chart was different from the others. Where most star charts had spiderweb lines that slotted to an out-of-the-way indent for the HUD of the nav viewer, this orb had pudgy, fat, oval fingerprint marks, as if they were specifically molded for a human's hand. In addition, it was not just an orb, but more like a ringed planet in miniature. It was beautiful and unsettling at the same time. Translucent, depending on how you held it. I remember the damned thing had made me nauseous looking at it directly. The codes embedded on the surface were supposed to be the index, for jump point calibrations contained inside the casing. These weren't for any star system I recognized. I was reaching for it when a shadow had fallen over me. The shadow had been father. 
I'll take that, he had said. Climb out of there and report to your bunk. Corwell had quickly saluted at my father, and I had handed him the orb. It had tingled, almost like a deep, thrumming electrical shock. I had wanted to warn father. It simply wasn't my place. He had taken the human orb chart, and thereby had chosen our course. I let my memories of a week ago fade. Today, I captain a spaceship adrift between jump points with a dead crew. Adrift. My ship and I were both adrift. Looking out the small porthole, I saw the limitless night expanse of the Milky Way, like the voice of my house yawning back at me, condemning me. I tried to wipe the blood spackle from the porthole, but it just smudged across the tiny window, blurring the beautiful milk to a red sheen. He who had been father was starting up again. Change course! You must change course! This was followed by ten minutes of weeping. That is a direct order! Obey! A direct order, I tell you! Then he started his high-pitched screeching. Change course! And finally, thankfully, he exhausted himself and descended into indecipherable moaning. The engines began to purr, mercifully covering up some of his gibbering. The Milky Way moved a bit outside the porthole. Corwell must have finally gotten the engines ignited. Maybe we wouldn't end up a metal coffin, frozen in space. So frosty now, I could see my breath billowing from my muzzle. Corwell appeared at my open doorway. Oil and grime matted his dark brown fur. His uniform split across the chest, where he who had been father had mauled him. Corwell bowed before me. I shivered involuntarily. My older brother bowed. Before... Before the event, father had been toughest on him, the eldest. It had been sheer luck. I had seen the blood smear across the floor and had watched his foot slide across the deck. No, let's not relive it anymore. Jailing father, even if Corwell had been the one who had fought the most, it had been I. I had jailed him. That had been the act of judgment. You got the engines moving, I spoke to push into the obvious awkward silence. Corwell fidgeted nervously as if he wanted to keep some distance. He made no eye contact either. He finally stammered out what he wanted. Yeah, it wasn't hard. I couldn't use the computer. There's no way. But you know, I know the mechanics. So Monkey Wrench does what a computer language can't. He paused as if trying to screw up his courage. And... And I maintain the ship. I... I worked on the ship. I... Of course you do, Corwell. I spoke as calmly as I could muster. You are our mechanic. We'd be icicles without you and your engines. He still needed more from me. It's okay. It's okay. We will make it. We'll figure out what to do now. You have the engines running. I had to know. Corwell looked fragile, but if we were going to survive, he needed a push. I had to know if he could hold it together. Brother, can two woven sail the ship? Can we complete docking operations? <laughs> Brother, he gave a little chirping bark. I guess we'll find out, won't we, Captain Crun? That was a voice deep in despair, and bordered on insubordination. But he brought himself back from the edge of hysteria. No, no, that's not fair. We can make it. 
We just need to input some routines and keep it simple. A straight on an autonav dock, but... He hesitated. He looked at me quickly and just as quickly glanced away. But first, I want to talk to Father. You hear him. He'll rip our throats out. Is that what you want? Is that really what you want? Is it so hard to bow to me? It had just slipped out. Damn it. How humiliating. For me. For him. Corwell shouted. I was first! He clamped down on himself. No, no. I I just don't know what to do. It's not right. It's not right that we locked him up. I want to talk to him. Have you shut off the voice commands? He wouldn't... I felt my voice rising in a snarl, creeping into my words. You know that he would. Did he stop trying it before? He would have spaced us all because of that damn orb. Have you forgotten? Shura's dead. Shura had been Corwell's best friend until he who had been father had shoved a blaster down his muzzle and pulled the trigger. What I saw next made the blood drain from my face. Corwell's hand went up to his throat and came down in open palm submission. It was biochemical. It was glandular, hormonal, psychosocial, whatever you wanted to call it. It was a damn psychic straitjacket. I wanted to howl. He was my brother, my big brother. This is not right. A kind of tunnel vision crawled and crept over all my senses, all my thoughts. My big brother was disintegrating before me and reintegrating into my solid right hand. My first mate. My... My... I didn't want to say it. Subordinate. It didn't change my love for him. Though I knew I could kill him now if I had to. This was a new order. If we were going to survive, which was very much in doubt with the crew murdered, I had to accept the change. Corwell's acceptance? Well, not so much. But I had no doubt he would. The change always started from the top down. I spoke firmly, but I kept the growl out of my voice. I will not be the limit on the limitless night sky. This is our house. Our house will endure. It was like the first words I had ever spoken. The only words I ever spoke or wanted to speak. I thumbed off the comm units so no voice commands could be issued until I keyed in my voice. Sometimes the right choice is to acquiesce. Corwell had been working on the engines for the last 12 hours. Isolated in the engine room, he had not heard, had not seen. Let's go. I started down the corridor to the makeshift jail. The door was 100% plexiluminol, see-through, and no way he who had been father was going to break through it. Well, it was normally see-through. Now, it was smeared with feces and blood. When he who had been father saw us, he hurled the gold discus at us. I couldn't help but stare at the alien star map. Was it even human? Or something even more distant? A map like a little paw-sized sculpture of a ringed planet. Some golden computer that at a glance appeared as a hunk of gold, but it had activated on Father's touch once we had gone through a jump point. Zorial! Zorial! He who had been Father screamed. He charged toward the door, but not in an attempt to break the plexiluminol only to reclaim the golden orb 
and as his claws gripped it, he howled again, Zorial! It was so pathetic. Zorial was a child's imaginary play city, a thing of flying purple fluffy beasts and licorice buildings with ruby rooftops. But he who had been father could only shout that silly name every time he touched the disc. Father, Corwill cried. My big brother literally cried. Tears ran down his muzzle. He who had been father bashed his muzzle against the door. I watched his two-inch right canine pop out of his muzzle in a bloody mess. He curled up around the golden star chart with his back toward us then. Apparently, his madness and the golden orb had inflicted enough damage to his broken body to allow him a respite. An appropriate silence hung between us until at last, Corwell said, What's our next move? Isn't it obvious, brother? We find a human who can handle that star chart and get to the source and avenge our father. Not without a crew, not without a navigator, Captain. I nodded and dismissed Corwell back to the engine room to prepare the jump and auto-dock sequences. He was right, and now he was thinking like a first mate. I set our course. House Limitless Night Sky would right herself and set sail into that night to discover who could make such a device. I headed to the command deck of my ship. <laughs>